we're, we're talking about the Gospels, working our way through. Uh, Jesus is really, I hate summing this up every every time, but the brief, the brief point is this, is that Jesus has now been uh, really blasphemed by the Pharisees and the Jewish nation and saying that, all these things that he's been doing, these miracles that were done in public in his teaching, was under the power of Beelzebub, which is the devil. That he's got evil in him. And so once they blaspheme the spirit to his face, he basically cut them off from hearing the truth, hearing the gospel message. And we can clearly, we can clearly see that his whole ministry changes at that point, once they've done that. He still has a public ministry, yet he teaches now in parables, so that the truth is hidden from the Jews, because they blaspheme him. And then all the miracles that he's been doing in public, he now does in private, and it's not based upon the Jewish nation needing to prove that he's the Messiah with these miracles, but these miracles are done based upon each individual's personal faith, belief in Jesus, and their personal needs. So he does these privately. His ministry has changed. And, you know, as I, I this is like my second time to teach through the Gospels. But if you have never, ever seen that change, it's hard to understand the truth. It's hard to understand Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because it doesn't make sense why he tells some not to say anything, and then he tells others to go and say things. And we'll get to that a little bit this morning. But I'll pick up where we left off. He left off. Uh, the Pharisees busting his chops because his, his disciples didn't wash their hands in the whole mission of things. And so he was with the multitude, he was with the multitude, uh, and teaching them in parable form. Now in John chapter 7, verse 1, it says, After this, Jesus traveled in Galilee, that whole, remember the Sea of Galilee is at the north part of Israel, since he did not want to travel in Judea, which is the southern part, which is where Jerusalem is and the temple is, because the Jews were trying to kill him. He's going to stay safe up there in Capernaum, his, his ministry base in the Sea of Galilee, where he's received and accepted. Down in Jerusalem, they're ready to hang him. Mark chapter 7, verse 24 says this. It gets a little bit more specific about where he actually went. It says he got up and departed from there to the region of Tyre and Sidon. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, but he could not escape notice. So now he's been with the multitude. He actually travels back over to uh, the, the east side of the, the Sea of Galilee. And he's there, and he's really trying to get away from everybody, but obviously everybody follows him. We went to John, we looked at Mark. Mark tells the same story that Matthew tells, but I want to tell it, read it to you from the book of Matthew, because it's a little bit more descriptive than Mark is. 
So Matthew chapter 15, verse 22, it says this. Just then, a Canaanite woman from the region came crying out, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. She she cried out. Wait now, wait a second. A, a Canaanite woman, that's not a Jew, that's a Gentile. So we all know that Jesus came to the Jews first, and he's teaching to the Jews, but now this Canaanite woman comes to him, and what does she do? She calls him son of David. Now, if you just read that, it's like no big deal to you. Okay, son of David. But if you know the prophecy, the prophecy says that the Messiah must come through the lineage of King David. And all of a sudden, she's saying, son of David, interpreted as, you are the Messiah. I recognize you as the Messiah. This is a Gentile woman saying, Jesus, I recognize you're a Messiah. The Messiah. Says this. Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly tormented by a demon. And then watch what Jesus does. Yet he did not say a word to her. <laughs> Who did he come for? The Jews. Not the Gentiles. She's like, Lord, have mercy on me, son of David. You're the Messiah. Kill my daughter who is tormented by this demon. And Jesus just stands there. Did nothing. Was quiet. Didn't respond to the Gentile woman. So his disciples approached him and urged him, send her away because... She cries out after us. This is like, this lady's being obnoxious. This is like the, you know, this is teenage boys and they're trying to protect their friend. He replied, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Like, I came for the Jews, the house of Israel. This is who I'm here for. He didn't say, she's a Canaanite woman. He just says, I came for the house of Israel. It says this, but she came knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. All of a sudden, she first comes in and she says, I recognize that you're the Messiah. He does nothing. And then the next time, she literally comes before him and says, Lord, help me. All of a sudden, she got personal. Well, 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 wait a second. What did Jesus' ministry hold change? His whole ministry changed, right? From public to private. It was not based upon proving to the Jews that he's the Messiah. It was based upon personal need and personal faith. And the lady just knelt down before him and said, help me. All of a sudden, it went from being, I don't need you to prove that you're the Messiah. I just need personal help. And Jesus listened. Jesus heard her. He said this. He answered, it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to their dogs. What in the world did Jesus just say there? <laughs> it isn't right to take the children's, and he's speaking about the Jews, the Israelites, and throw it to their dogs, the Gentiles.
Gentiles. That's pretty rough. Jesus just called the Gentiles the dogs. He says, I didn't come here for the Jews. I mean, I, I came here for the Jews. I didn't come here for the Gentiles. Although the Gentiles can see it, and obviously he's been healing the Gentiles. They've been hearing the word. They've been proclaiming him as Messiah. He literally came here for his chosen people, the Jews. Yet they have blasphemed him. They have said, you're of the devil. And she says this, yes, Lord, she said. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Even the Gentiles can have the opportunity to understand and hear the Messiah. She totally got it. She's like, I'm not asking you to save the Gentiles. I'm asking you to save my daughter. I have a personal need and it is based upon my personal faith in you. Then Jesus replied to her, Woman, your faith is great. Let it be done for you as you want. What healed this lady's daughter? It was her faith. Simply her faith. And Jesus, having changed from a public healing Ministry to prove that he's the Messiah to changing to this private, personal need, personal faith, healing. And it's done. Let it be done. And from that moment, her daughter was cured. The moment she believed. Pretty crazy. And then... We go to Mark chapter 7, verse 31. It says, again, leaving the region of Tyres on the east east side of the Sea of Galilee, the Gentile area. And he went by the way of Sidon to the Sea of Galilee through the region of Decapolis. Wait a second, I remember that word Decapolis from a few weeks ago. Anybody remember what happened in Decapolis a few weeks ago? I didn't think you remember it. But do you remember the man named Legion? The Legion that had like all these demons in him? Do you remember that story about the naked man that ran out of the cave? and Yeah, the Hulk dude. You got it, Luke, you remember. And, and, and he took the demons and he cast them into the pigs and the pigs went off into the, the sea. And then all of a sudden he told that man to go and tell the good news. And it says that man went to the capitals. The dude that nobody wanted to be around got cleaned up, heard the good news, believed in Jesus, and all of a sudden he started this ministry in the capitals. Now does it make sense? And it says Jesus went to the capitals. This is after Legion. It says... They brought to him a deaf man who also had a speech difficulty and begged Jesus to lay his hand on him. So what does Jesus do? He took him away from the crowd privately. 
if you never knew this, you just read right over it. Jesus took him out of the crowd, the public scene, took him privately and says, I'm going to heal you behind closed doors. After putting his fingers in the man's ears and spitting. <laughs> it's awesome. You know, I, I truly believe that as Jesus like faced these different healing opportunities that he truly never knew how the Lord, his father, was going to like work through him. Like he's listening to his father and his father says, stick your finger in his ear and spit. <laughs> like every day was a new adventure for Jesus. Like how am I going to heal him today, dad? What is it that I have to do? And it says, he touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed deeply and said to him, Epaphatha. That is, be open. Immediately his ears were open, his speech difficulty was removed, and he began to speak clearly. Then guess what he did? He ordered him, don't tell anybody. What nationality would you assume this man was? He was a Jew. Don't go tell the Jews because they can't hear this. I assume that he was a Jew because he says, don't go tell your family. But the more he would order them and the more they would proclaim it, you know, it's the law, right? That's the way the law works. Don't go tell anybody what this... Well, the guy's like, he's able to talk. What are you going to do? You tell him, don't go tell... You just gave me the ability to talk, and now I can't go talk. Well, of course he's going to go talk. And if you tell him not to do something, they're probably going to go do it, because that's the way the law works the more they would proclaim it. They were extremely astonished and said, that's another word for all. They were extremely astonished and said, he has done everything well. He even makes deaf people hear and people unable to speak talk. Like this is the Jews saying this. Like, right? He said, don't go tell him. That means that he was probably a Jew. And then it says that he went and told them. And the Jews are sitting there like going, you know, he's done everything that we said the Messiah was going to do. How do you not call him the Messiah? You jump back to Matthew chapter 15 and it says, Jesus healed more than just this one man. I mean, he's like healed people left and right. How do you not recognize him as the Messiah? Yet they chose not to believe that he was the Son of God as he said that he was. In verse 32 of Matthew chapter 15 it says this now Jesus summoned his disciples and said I have compassion on the crowd because they've already stayed with me three days and they have nothing to eat I, I you think about that statement right there I mean you guys right here at about 1115 you're going to be start thinking about where you're going to lunch but these people had been hanging out with Jesus for three days and they haven't even thought about food. They were so amazed at what he was doing and what he was saying and how he was healing people that for three days they didn't eat. 
And Jesus says, I feel sorry for these people because they haven't eaten for three days. He says, I don't want to send them I don't want to send them away hungry, otherwise they might collapse on their way home. They literally have not thought about eating. And the disciples, this is awesome. This is how you know they didn't get it right here. This, this doesn't even make sense to me. The disciples said to him, where can we get enough bread in this desolate place to fill such a crowd? How long ago was it that Jesus fed 5,000? I mean, it was just a couple of weeks ago that we talked about it. Their whole time hanging out with Jesus was in three years. You mean to tell me that at some point that they've already forgotten that Jesus has fed 5,000 people, that he's capable of doing that? Are you kidding me? Did they learn anything from feeding the 5,000? Probably not much. And Jesus said, asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven and a few small fish. And after commanding the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish. He gave thanks. Thank you, Father, for doing this one more time. He broke them and kept on giving them to the disciples. That's the same pattern that he did when he fed the 5,000. He literally took the loaves and the fish, broke them, and gave them to the disciples. Why would he give them to the disciples? Because all he's trying to say is, look, these are sheep, and you guys are shepherds. It's your responsibility to feed them. It's not about the physical food. It's about the spiritual food. And I just want you to understand, you're the ones responsible. I'm giving it to you, the disciples, and they give it to the people to feed them. It says, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. They all ate and were filled. Then they collected the leftover pieces, seven large baskets full. I mean, I don't know how long that took to collect seven baskets full of bread and fish. But obviously, you go, why do they even like report that? Why did they pick up the leftovers? The only thing that you can say is that they were just being good stewards of what the Lord blessed them. And then Matthew says, now those who ate were 4,000 men besides the women and the children. So when you say the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000, let's add women to that. It probably doubles those numbers. And then you add it, what, average family has 2.5 kids or something like that. You add those kids, Jesus was feeding close to 20,000 people at a time. So now he's done it twice. He's fed 5,000 and 4,000 according to Matthew. Then look at this. He says in Matthew 39. After dismissing the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magdala. He went from the east side to the west side to the north side. It says the Pharisees and the Sadducees approached 
and as a test, ask him to show them a sign from heaven. Now, think about that for a second. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're the same one. They're the leaders of the Jews. They're the rabbis. They're the teachers. They're the ones that have pretty much designated these messianic miracles. If the Messiah, if somebody does these miracles, then they most likely are the Messiah and will follow. Yet they're the same ones that accuse Jesus of doing these miracles by the spirit of Beelzebub, the devil. And so what did they ask Jesus to do? Can you show us a miracle that's a sign from heaven, not from hell? We know you can do miracles, but show us one that is a sign from heaven. What does Jesus have to do? Literally, what does he have to do? He's a He's already written them off and he answered them. When evening comes, you say, it will be good weather because the sky is red. And in the morning, today will be stormy because the sky is red and threatening. You know how to read the appearance of the sky, but you can't read the signs of the times. He's like saying, you guys are good weathermen. You can forecast the weather. Look. They were forecasting what the weather was going to do back there in Bible times. We do it with our phones now. But they literally were capable of doing it. He says, you can do the weather, but you literally can't see what's going on right before your very eyes. You can't see that everything that was taught all the way back from Genesis chapter 15, Genesis actually chapter 3 when he said the Messiah was going to come, that the prophets have said, this is what it's going to look like, this is how it's going to play out. It's played out exactly like that. You guys can forecast the weather, but you can't see that everything that's been said in the scripture has been played out right before your very eyes. What's wrong with you? He says, an evil and adulterous generation demands a sign. He's talking about these Pharisees, these Sadducees, this generation that's saying, we don't believe you. You can't be the Messiah. And he says, it's this generation that's going to pay for it. And you know what? You know, according to history, they paid for it. The Romans came in, 70 AD, destroyed the temple, killed 1.1 million Jews. Because these Pharisees and Sadducees blasphemed the Spirit said, you're not the Messiah. You can't even see the sign of the times. He said, an evil and adulterous generation demands a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. Remember, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Sorry to disturb your world, but uh, I believe that Jonah actually died. He died in the, when he was thrown over boat. The well swallowed him kept him for three days he's praying, it says that he's in Shoal and he's praying the Lord resurrects Jonah and spits him out there on the, on the shore he says the only sign that you're going to see from me is the sign of Jonah they've already seen it once right remember he brought the little girl back to life 
They're going to see it again when he does it with Lazarus. And they're really going to see it again when Jesus does it himself. You want a sign from heaven? Is that what it's going to take for you to believe? I've already shown you one. I'm going to show it to you again. And I'm actually going to do it myself. That's all you're going to get. Then, look at this. Matthew chapter 16, verse 5 says, The disciples reached the other shore. They had forgotten to take the bread. They were being good stewards. They picked up seven baskets, but then they forgot. They're dudes. They're probably thinking about something else. Then Jesus told them, Watch out and beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, why would he say this? Why would he be warning them about the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Well, obviously they forgot the food. And they got hungry. We forgot the loaves and the fishes. We're hungry. Jesus says, alright, now you're going to have to go out and get food. But beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Because as you know, leavener is that change agent in a dough product that causes it to rise and transform while it's in a state of rest. In other words, it works its way through the whole dough. And he's like, beware of their leaven. It's bad stuff. Jump to Mark chapter 8, verse 13. It says, he commanded him, watch out, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. Now, why would he say Herod in that, in that passage? I, I find it very interesting. This, this is kind of this is kind of crazy, but uh, somebody asked me uh, this morning about the Temple Mount. Well, I'm assuming that you know that the temple that's in Jerusalem there's this mount that is currently there right now and it has a Muslim mosque that built right on the top of it. <coughs> that temple mount is the same temple mount before it was a temple where Abraham actually took his son Isaac and was going to sacrifice his son. That temple mount is the same temple that when David wanted to build a temple Yet there was sin in his life. Solomon came along and built the temple right there in Jerusalem. Then the Jews, they couldn't keep up with the law, the Ten Commandments, and everything else. And so God brought in the Babylonians, took capture of them in 586 B.C. This is all history. It's all world history. Destroyed the temple and exiled the Jews to Babylon. Then, like 70 years later, Ezra and Nehemiah and Jeremiah all come back and they rebuild the temple. It's like a rebuild. Solomon's the first temple. It's recognized as the first temple. Then it was came back and considered a rebuild. They built that like 700 cubits short of actual Solomon's temple. And Herod, being the prideful king that he was, says, we need to redo the temple. So Herod comes in and he literally reconstructs the whole temple. This is what we would consider the second temple. Now, 
journey back with me for a second. This is awesome. Let's talk about the glory of God. I remember the glory of God in Exodus when it's in the burning bush and Moses is there. And he gets the Ten Commandments. He sees God. His face reflects it. God was in that like burning bush. And then he takes them out and he they're wandering through uh, getting out of Egypt and they're following this the, this whole glory of God through the fire and this, the fire by by uh, fire by night and smoke by day. Something like that. The glory of God. They're actually following the glory of God. And then we see that the glory of God near the end of the Old Testament during the prophet's time, it actually like vaporizes and goes away. So, that same glory of God that filled the tabernacle that traveled that traveled with them, that traveled with Moses, that same glory of God that filled the Holy of Holies in Solomon's temple went away. Now you got Herod's temple. It's the second temple. And it's got a Holy of Holies. Does the scripture ever say the glory of God came in that Holy of Holies? Not in there. Herod built this temple. But wait a second. Where was the glory of God? In Luke chapter 2, it's the Christmas story. Jesus is born. And what's it say? The glory of the Lord is upon him. The glory of the Lord that was all throughout the Old Testament now is within Jesus. And the only time the glory of the Lord in King Herod's temple was when Jesus walked in. Think about it. I don't think Jesus ever made it into the Holy of Holies, but it really didn't matter. Because the glory of God and King Herod and them never, ever saw it. The Pharisees never saw it. The Sadducees never saw the glory of God there at all. And he's like, beware. Because they're going to teach you something totally different. They're not connected. It's not the same teaching that Jesus was teaching. He says in verse 16, they were discussing among themselves that they did not have any bread. I'm hungry and there's no bread. Aware of this, he said to them, why are you discussing that you do not have any bread? (laughs) Don't you understand? Don't you understand or just comprehend this? Look, guys. I'm trying to make this as simple as I can for you. Really. What Jesus knew, he knew that they weren't going to get it. But he's trying, he's trying. He says, is your heart hardened? Do you have eyes? Uh Uh-oh, now he's like starting to throw like these same things that he says to the Pharisees. Do you have eyes and not see? And do you have ears and not hear? That's the same thing that he keeps accusing the Pharisees and the Sadducees of. And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets full of pieces of bread did you collect? He's like, really, how can you guys 
forget what we've already done. They said, 12. When I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of pieces of bread did you collect? Seven, they said. And he said to them, <coughs> Don't you understand it yet? Who, whose responsibility is it to feed sheep? The shepherds. You guys, you've got to see this. You've got to see that you're the shepherds. I can't make this any simpler than our. The gospel's meant to be simple. It says, then he came to Bethsaida. Bethsaida, they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and brought him out of the village. What? Took him by the hand, brought him out of the village, and said, this is private. I'm going to do this in private. Spitting, <laughs> here we go again. Spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see people. They look to me like trees walking. In other words, you can't see very clearly. <laughs> if you guys look like trees, he can see somewhat, but he can't see the full thing. It was a partial healing. Verse 25, it says, And again, Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes, and he saw distinctly. He was cured and could see everything clearly. He wasn't healed the first time. It was a partial healing. The second time, he could see everything very clearly. It was a two-stage miracle. He's looking at his disciples, and guys, don't you guys get it? He they kind of partially saw it right then. But he knew in Acts chapter 2 when the Spirit comes, they're going to see it clearly. Are you kidding me? That, that story comes right behind them not understanding. Are you kidding me? This Bible is laid out perfectly. You guys. He knew. He knew that they were going to see things clearly at some point says, then he sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. Well, where must they have been? They were in Jewish territory. And then, uh, I want to close with this passage right here. Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, I want to show you something. Uh, five years ago, uh, we were actually there at Caesarea Philippi. And this is this is the place that Jesus is talking about. It talks about, uh, next week we get into uh, uh, the transfiguration. Jesus goes up and he's actually transfigured. And it happens on Mount Hermon. Well, this is at the base of Mount Hermon. So we know this is exactly where Jesus is like hanging out with Peter in this story right here. You see uh, Corey right there, and here's the cool thing: is uh, I'll show you in a second. But this is this is actually one of our tour guides, and I don't know where the other tour guide is, but he's actually going to be our tour guide when we go next May. This one right here. So flip through these, Todd, real quick. Uh, this is another picture of it. You can see it very clearly. Obviously, there's a cliff there, and uh, Jesus must have been hanging out with his twelve disciples in this area. Fly through here, real quick. 
Now, see, we've got little transistors that you wear around your neck, and you have an earpiece. And the, the tour guide actually like travels with you, and he's got a headset and microphone, and he just talks. And so you can like walk around, and you can hear everything. You don't have to be standing like right next to him. It's pretty amazing. But you, we literally were walking around this whole area. Beautiful, beautiful area. Look through there. There's Micah. Nice job, Micah. Uh, and back there, <coughs> there it is, zoomed out. Three more? Is that it? Yep, that's, it. that's it. So this is Caesarea Philippi. What, what is it? It's rocky. It's rocky. Watch this. He says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Those were all men that had supernatural powers. They were like superheroes in the ministry. And he says, but you, all, all three books, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all said, but you, he asked them, who, who do you say? <laughs> He's looking at the, the 12 disciples. Guess who answered? Peter. Simon Peter answered, says, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He, get, he sees it, right? He sees it. He calls him the Messiah, he's the Son of the living God. And Jesus responded, Simon, son of Jonah, you are blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. Let me tell you something. I have a piece about what I teach up here because I'm not responsible for you getting it. If anything is going to be revealed to you out here, it's not going to be because of me. It's not going to be because of flesh and blood. It's going to be because the Father reveals it to you. There's no pressure on me whatsoever for what you understand and what you get. I'm not held responsible for what you understand. The Lord is. It says right here, Peter, you've been blessed. This has been revealed to you by my Father in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter. If you take Peter, the Greek word, it comes from the word Petra, which means rock. Peter, you are a rock. Watch this. This is where confusion comes in for the church. And I say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, on this rock, I will build my church. It is taught so often that Jesus says, Peter, you're the rock that I'm going to build my church on. That is not what Jesus said. Jesus says, Peter, based upon your confession of Jesus as the Messiah and the Son of God, this is what I'm building my church on. It's that rock. That rock that you just confessed and said, who I am, that I'm going to build this church on. He's not building it on Peter. Thank goodness. He's building it based upon Peter's confession of who Jesus was. It says, I will build my church and the force of Hades will not overpower. A physical death. I'm not going to go into the whole Hades thing right here because we've done this many times. But he's literally talking about where people go to die and he's talking about a physical death. 
the church is going to overcome the physical death. We're going to live into eternity. He says, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Now, watch this. People now say, well, Peter has the keys to the kingdom of heaven. We're really talking about the mystery form of the church that we talked about at the beginning of this study. The mystery form of the church is this, is that both the Jews and the Gentiles have the opportunity to understand that Jesus is the Messiah. And Peter's been given the keys to, like, proclaim this. And watch what happens. If you go to Acts chapter 2, Peter will be the first one that talks about in Acts chapter 2 that takes the gospel message to the Jews. If you go to Acts chapter 8, Peter will be the first one to take the Holy Spirit to the Samaritans. Remember that half-breed Jews. Philip's the one that actually told them about Jesus, but Peter came with the Holy Spirit, and they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then, if you look at Acts chapter 10 through 13, Peter has this vision from the Lord, and he's actually instructed to go to Cornelius, who was a Gentile, and offer the gospel to Cornelius in Caesarea. Not Caesarea Philippi, but Caesarea, which is on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Paul goes there, and or Peter goes there in Acts chapter 10, and he literally tells Cornelius, this is for you. Literally, Jesus gave Peter the keys to the church and said, you're going to go into all the world, Acts 1.8. You're going to go into Jerusalem to the Jews, you're going to go into Samaria, and you're going to go into Judea. You're going to go into all the world, and you'll be the one that gives them the good news. And then he closes out. And whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth is already loose in heaven. I'm not going into that, but that's all about the judgment in Acts. And when I say judgment, I'm literally talking about Peter and Paul and his disciples had the ability to judge believers through the book of Acts. And then the last verse is this, in Luke chapter 9. But he strictly warned and instructed them to tell this to no one. Don't go out and tell this. Why? Because they came to the Jews first. He says, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and be raised on the third day. He just gave it all away. If you want to want to know what happened at the end of the story he just told you <laughs> guys this is what's going to happen to me and they're sitting there like going what <laughs> what did he just say we get the whole rejection part but be killed raised <clears throat> like they're going to kill you it's going to get that serious Look, they didn't get it. And the whole difference is this. Somebody somebody texted me this morning and says, you're not quite Moses, but you do have a mighty swing with that rock. And I wanted to text them back, but I didn't think they'd understand me. You know, the Bible actually says that I'm greater than John the Baptist. The Bible actually says that I'm greater than Moses. Why is that? 
because he lived inside of me. They never had that. They never had that. I got it. You got it. And it's that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead that lives in my mortal body that reveals truth to me. That teaches me. That allows me to teach up here and allows you to understand it and allows you to talk about it. disciples are going to get it eventually. Father, I pray that you would just continue to unpack it, that you would continue to reveal, that you would continue to teach how simple your message truly is, that you loved us, that you died for us, that you forgave us. And now we just have to rest in the transformation that you've done in our life. We just need to chill out. We just need to be through us being, you'll do amazing things. So Lord, I pray that. Not only for my friends, but for me. And I pray the same for